0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, exploring all things wine with you. We can be found on Facebook at the wonderful world of wine. Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. And today we wanted to talk to you about some of the adverse reactions that you might have while drinking wine. We always talk about the positive effects of wine, but you know, sometimes if you overindulge or even if you don't overindulge and you just have a little bit of a bad reaction, there can be some unpleasant side effects to drinking wine. I'm sure you hear these things from customers quite frequently, Mark, don't you? We
1: hear this a lot. It's either a, a headache or your face will get flush or you'll have a sinus issue. And I've even had it where people say they can only have a specific wine or they can't have a specific wine Mm -hmm. because it has one of these effects. So what was the first one you think is the most feedback on from people?
0: I definitely get headaches. People tell me all the time, oh, you know, I can't drink a certain kind of wine because I get a headache or, oh, there must be something in the wine that's giving me a headache. And I think most people just want to know why they're getting a headache or why they're having some sort of reaction. But yeah, definitely the one that I hear the most is headaches. And what was interesting about this article? that we just read at theexaminernews.com was that the author really broke them down into a couple of different categories, the causes. So it's either an allergic reaction or more of a metabolic problem. So I thought that this was an interesting take on uh, reactions to wine.
1: Yeah, so let's look at the first thing that was mentioned was histamines, which is a natural compound found in grape skin that's a byproduct that's in wine that a lot of people don't know about. Interesting saying more histamines are in red wine. So they're actually recommending if you want to drink reds, take an antihistamine, which I thought was kind of extreme. But what did you think of that, Kim?
0: I thought that was an interesting suggestion. But it makes a certain amount of sense, I feel like, because there are so many of these chemical compounds that are found more often in red wines than in white wines because of all the exposure to the skin and other parts of the grape that, that you don't get with whites. That if you think of strawberries and you think of other fruits and vegetables and ragweed and things that in the air that people have a histamine reaction to, it sort of makes sense that you would find them on grapes and that these kind of reactions really do act like an allergic reaction that you would have to other products out there. So sometimes people will have itchy eyes or they'll break out in hives, but it does sort of present as a typical allergic reaction. So this is something different from the headaches, but I often tell people that wine is a chemically complex kind of a thing and that you might not be able to necessarily put your finger on why you're having a reaction to, to something.
1: So you think this is more of like a, a sinus issue than a headache, you know, for this one
0: or... for the for the histamine sort of reaction, yes. I would say yeah. So it's more of that runny nose, itchy, itchy eyes, and, and I don't hear too many people complain about this. What I do hear people mention sort of is flushing. Sometimes people will their nose will get red or their chest will get red, this sort of a reaction, which also seems to be pretty common. So next they're
1: talking about the the king we always To people, it's the alcohol content. Right, right. You hear many times people say, oh, the sulfites or the histamines affect me. But most of the time, we say, look at the alcohol.
0: Right. And it all has to do with how your body is absorbing the alcohol. So you might have days where you're fully hydrated and you've eaten enough protein and your system isn't overtaxed, where you can absorb alcohol so much better. You know, your liver does just a much better job of processing it. And you might drink more than you usually do or something that has a Higher alcohol content and feel perfectly fine the next day, and then you might have another day where your your body's just not the same, and maybe you're dehydrated, maybe you you haven't eaten enough, and you can have half the amount and feel terrible the next day. I know this has certainly happened to me, and I think that this is something that people really do need to pay attention. Make sure that you are well hydrated before you start drinking anything. Make sure you are drinking with food, and that is a big thing that I think sometimes people kind of forget a little bit is that you need to think about the other things that your body is doing. In in order to be able to process that alcohol in a way that isn't going to result in you feeling terrible the next day.
1: We hear that so much. People say, I, I wake up the next way, day with a headache. I cannot drink that wine. And often we'll just say, take a look at if new wine to you, take a look at what you usually drink. What's the alcohol content? If it's 13% and that new wine was 14%, chances are that 1% of alcohol is what hurt you right. the next day.
0: So. And especially if you're drinking something that maybe is 15, 16% and you're used to drinking something that's closer to. 11 wow, four percentage points of alcohol, that could really knock you on your
1: butt. So the other uh, item they talked about was congeners. Is that how you pronounce
0: it? Congeners, Congeners. Yeah.
1: Basically, this is chemicals from agricultural use. And I always like to call it the sides, the pesticides, the fungicides, the germicides that are somehow involved in the grape growing process or the winemaking process. And it ends up giving you a reaction.
0: And this is a little bit harder, I think, for people to understand and put their fingers on because we just don't have that much information. It doesn't list on a bottle what was used in the vineyard as far as pesticides and fertilizers and, and all the industrial things that go into growing a crop. I mean, we've got this organic movement that is very healthy and very strong of people who are trying to get away from consuming products that are grown in this way, but it's just really hard to know how your conventional food and your conventional drink are being produced. So there could be some producers out there that aren't using a lot of chemicals in the winery and in the vineyard, but then there are other ones that might be more commercially more mass produced that you you just don't have that kind of information. So I think it's always good to keep in the back of your mind that for wines that maybe are being produced in bulk or are on the less expensive side of your bottle of wine so like, I don't know, under $15 or so a bottle, keep in mind that these are most likely being pretty large, largely cropped, large commercial production and and that there probably will be some pesticides in there.
1: And they stressed a lot about organics in this. So if you have a certified organic or organically grown grapes, you can avoid a lot of these uh, chemical things that are used. I mean, there's still sulfite, uh, but they do avoid a lot of these pesticides. And and personal story, I, I was not really big on organics or seeing the effects on myself with organic wines. And one time I actually, Tried an all organic uh, event, and the next day I felt great. And usually, you know, Kim, you and I taste a lot of wine, and the next day you do feeling a little sluggish or mm-hmm. something. But I was feeling pretty good, so yeah, I was on the organic movement for a while there.
0: But just remember that even avoiding those chemicals that might be you know used on there that you wouldn't find in an organic wine, you know, you still generally will have the same amount of alcohol. So you still need to consider that, and this whole histamine thing. All these, there are all these other natural chemical compounds that are found in wine that could be causing these reactions as well.
1: And we didn't talk about um, the sulfite thing. That's very common. People say, those sulfites give me headache. I don't think it was really mentioned in this article focusing on sulfites, just these other compounds. Yeah, it
0: was mentioned a little bit, but he brought up that that we often talk about, that a true sulfite allergy is really only present in maybe 1% of the population. So uh, a true allergy to sulfites and having you drink wine and then have an allergic reaction and have it be the sulfites is actually quite uncommon.
1: Yeah, and we, we stress that all the time when we hear it. Unless we see medical evidence come out saying that, then we won't go with it. We always say the alcohol or these other factors. Mm -hmm. And the last point they made was cheap wine or inexpensive wine. We always like to say inexpensive. Um, There can be processes done with additives or chemicals that can give you some reactions
0: and this is one of your big things that you like to talk about often. Yeah. Is these additives in wine that because of the way that wine labels are, you don't necessarily see everything on the packaging that is put in the wine. So there are certain colorings that can be added that are derived from grapes, but still it's a it's a coloring, it's a marketing thing and you know different acids and different sugars and and all these other things that can be used in the winemaking process that I think most of the general public is is pretty unaware of and if if something that you have a particular sensitivity to, you don't necessarily know that it's in there.
1: Yeah, just there's so much out there to try. I mean, if you try a brand that you paid uh, $10 for and it hurt you in some way, there's there's other $10 wines out there that might not hurt you. Uh, so we just keep exploring different things and always try to do research on what they're doing to your wine. You can always go on the, the internet and find out what a technical sheet or a technical specification is for the wine. If they're proud of what they're putting in there, they'll tell you what's in there. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine with Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. If you wanna find out more about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to find out more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. Our next topic is from Wine Folly, one of our favorite websites. It's stop saying 12 things about wine, specific things to stop saying about wine. And Kim, I know you're a big fan of. Of this website. And I love the way she breaks down these individual items.
0: I love this website. And unfortunately, I'm guilty of a couple of these things that she put on her list of don't say these things. So guilty as for a couple of them. But overall, I think that this is a really nice list of ways to approach wine with other people and not make other people feel bad about their either lack of knowledge or their own tastes. So I thought that was kind of a nice way to come at it.
1: Yeah, it's another list of things that related to wine. We, we always talk about We always have Liz. Gives us things to talk about. Uh, the first one was I only drink this because, and this is something we talk about a lot. And and I always say why. And we talk about this so much out there. Why do you only drink what you drink right. and never try anything else? There's so much out there. The term I hear a lot is you drink what you like. There's so much you probably don't know you like. So why aren't you trying other things? Right.
0: Don't restrict yourself to just what's familiar. It can be a little intimidating to try something that you don't know and sometimes looking at a bunch of wines on a wine shelf that are either from places that you're not familiar with or grape varieties you've never heard from before. that can be a little like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take the chance and spend the $15 or whatever on something that I'm not sure I'm going to like. But sometimes a little bit of that risk can be very rewarding. So especially if you are in a situation where you're at a wine tasting or you're at a dinner where people are just like popping stuff open, give it a try. Really nothing to lose. Take a sip. If you really hate it, then fine, now you know. But sometimes having an open mind and trying some new things that you might not in a million years ever have bought at a store or at a restaurant can be well worth it
1: that's a great point about tastings because i'll always talk to a customer and they'll say well that's all i that's all i'll drink and i'll say well you know what try going to an event or tasting or an education try different things most of the time they're free tastings or very low cost events and you can explore and find out other things that you will like and that's also our main job is to inform people of these other wines that are out there and what they can explore the next uh, item she talked about is pronouncing wine words i, I, I guess wrong or <laughs> right and we run across this a lot and, and i'm big always pronunciation and always reaching out to you on proper things i well. try
0: not to correct your pronunciation in yeah, the, middle I of the mean, class
1: it happens to everybody and it, especially being in retail people come in and you know they're saying it wrong but you you just guide them to the right area if that makes sense <laughs> i
0: i take a slightly different take on this when from in my years of working retail i, I kind of used one of those tips that they sort of tell parents that kid is either, you know, pronouncing something wrong or or using the wrong grammar, you don't necessarily correct them. But the next time you use that phrase, you use it correctly, and maybe they'll pick up on it. So that's kind of what I always did when somebody was pronouncing something wrong. Say they were pronouncing Chablis as shabless, And then the next time I mentioned it, I'd be like, and why don't you look at this bottle of Chablis? It's right in your price point, yada, yada, yada. So I don't know if that still came across as, oh, here's this snobby wine person who was trying to correct my pronunciation but because we are educators we feel like sometimes it's our duty to make sure that people are saying things the right way not to make them feel bad that they're doing it wrong or to embarrass them but just so that the next time they won't they won't say it wrong
1: yeah it's not to to pick on or embarrass i think the geeky part of us is kind of proud that we know what they're saying <laughs> yeah so uh we like to interpret it and we always like to help in any way the next thing was sweet wines are only for beginners which this is totally, I mean, new people getting into wine are drinking sweet wine, but I'm seeing older generations also fall for sweet wine. So what is your interpretation of this, Kim?
0: Well, Sweet wines fall into a number of different categories. They're not all just beginner wines or whites Zinfandels or Riesling blends or things that you typically associate with people who drink wine but don't really know a whole lot about it or don't have a particularly sophisticated palate. There's nothing wrong with drinking that category of wine, but lumping all sweet wines into that category, I think is where where people get a little confused. You know, there are some dessert wines that are among the most well-regarded in the world and have big, long histories and are super-duper expensive and, you know, take years to make that are also, I mean, still technically sweet wines, but they, they're they in, in a whole different category and they're not meant to just be consumed by the pool. They're, they're something that have a different place and should be consumed in a different context. So I think it's the lumping of all sweet wines together and then poo-pooing that as, oh, that's just, you know, why would you drink something sweet? So sweet. Humans are naturally inclined to want to consume sweet things. I mean, look at all the Coca-Cola that people drink and and the cookies that we eat. So there's nothing wrong with liking a sweet wine. We're kind of hardwired to like sweet wines. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with enjoying them. We talk about this a lot
1: where it seems like winemakers are going more and more for a a sweet profile. Speaking of profiles, I think I do find myself profiling wine drinkers when, for instance, someone says, I have to pick up some wine for my grandmother. I'm like, uh, white Zinfandel? (laughs) Oh no I kind of put A generation With certain wines Sure Uh, Do you find yourself Doing that?
0: Um Maybe I I generally try To get a little bit More information first And not make those Assumptions about people But it is funny How often people Will assume That because You are a certain Demographic Or you're a certain Age or whatever That you must Therefore like A certain type of wine I used to have Customers all the time That would come to me And say Give me a wine For a woman And I'm like Okay What does said Woman like to drink It's kind of that. It's like people sort of assume that if you're older or you're female or you're a certain generation that you therefore must like X, Y, and Z. And I mean, I suppose a lot of a certain generation might like a certain style, but put people in a box and just assume that that must be all that they drink. I think we we as the professionals also need to keep an open mind.
1: It's a great point because you have to know what they're currently drinking to kind of recommend or get a profile mm-hmm. of them. So one of the other things, stop saying about wine is screw cap wines, are inexpensive or cheap and we love talking about this a lot of times people ask about screw caps and we don't like to say cheap on anything (laughs) inexpensive right the
0: um the whole screw cap thing i think is a little bit more mainstream these days so people do understand hopefully that there are some better wines being bottled under screw cap because of the whole situation with with corks and making sure that only better corks are being used and when there isn't enough good cork to go around it makes more sense to bottle under something other than a cork so that you have a sense healthy wine in that bottle so I would like to think that people have started to understand and recognize that there are better bottles under screw cap because they really are out there all over the place now and it's not just Australia and New Zealand which is where this trend started but now we definitely have some better bottles from California from Oregon from Washington from all over the place Uh, that do have a different type of closure. You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us online at franklinlickers.com or my website, vinitaswineworks.com. We've been talking about a really fun article from winefolly.com about top 12 things not to say about wine anymore. And a lot of them are sort of common sense things, but then other ones are more changes in the wine world and and different ways that we think about wine now than we did, say, ten or 10 or twenty years ago, one of those interesting topics is we always say that white wines are meant to be drunk early, and that you don't age wines, you age reds. But there are some red wines that can benefit from a little bit of age, and we don't see these too too often. But just to sort of make a blanket statement that no white wines can age is a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of a wine folly.
1: Yeah, I think people often feel that they should be consumed young, but like you said, there are certain things that that are more acidic or from different regions that are just meant to be not drunk young. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the percentage of people when they go for a white are looking at the the age of it?
0: Probably not that many. Very very low, right? That's what I see as well. I think we more have the opposite problem. You know, people might buy wines and not know that they're not supposed to keep them for a a really long time. A bottle of Sauvignon Blanc or a bottle of California Chardonnay. People might buy them and put them aside and sometimes forget that they're there. Or on the flip side, just not understand and enough that these types of wines really should be consumed on the younger side and think that it's fine to keep them for a good long time and they get put in a, a liquor cabinet or or a wine cellar if you have one and then you know you pull them out five years later and you're like this is still good to drink i do get that question a lot so wh- white wines that really are meant for aging like you said are more structural wines higher acid sometimes ones that have been aged in oak so there are like white riojas from spain that age well and that are meant to be aged and that's what the winemakers in tension was was for them to be a little bit older but then things from like the loire valley that have really really high acid levels that kind of need to calm down a little bit or otherwise they'd be a little bit less tasty you can say because of all that high acid so things like that but your ordinary run-of-the-mill sauvignon blanc chardonnay i'm still gonna say drink them when you buy them it's
1: always amazing that just exploring you'll find say it a chardonnay you say oh there's no way this is any good it's you know five years old and it actually tastes really good and it's it surprised you a lot of time. yeah
0: and i you know, y- your particular palate, you might like those things that have a little bit more age on them. So whereas for me, because I don't, I'm going to say drink it right away. But you might like it with that extra year or two. So it's, it's all individual. So
1: stop saying you're not drinking Merlot. And this, I think, came from the big Sideways movie. Yeah. And in Sideways, the, the, the gentleman said he's not drinking any Merlot. He would only drink Pinot Noir. And it actually impacted Merlot sales. And now this, stop saying that because, <laughs> and I see it in the retail side, Merlot, Merlot, for me, is coming back and, and strong. And I maybe we speak because it's someone's safe wine to say, you yeah. know, I, I need a wine for someone. I think I'll go with a Merlot.
0: Did you see a, a serious dip in Merlot sales after Sideways came out? We did. I mean, Merlot yeah, wow.
1: as a, a varietal was down. But lately, the last few holidays, I see it coming back and I've actually expanded the selection more.
0: Nice. It's very interesting to watch sort of the ups and downs of wine trends. And I've been in the wine business for 15 years, and it really is interesting to see so certain things come and go, certain things be popular and then not be popular and just watch those trends and all sorts of things. And it's interesting to watch sort of the highs and lows of a particular grape variety and how those things can be impacted by just things in the culture, like how one movie can make this explosion of Pinot Noir to the detriment of poor misunderstood merlot
1: and those are the things we always like to bring to everyone's attention doing this show is we follow these trends and tell you about them Uh, the next thing uh, you'll love this kim because you're the bubbly queen stop saying champagne when it's not from champagne very calm
0: so guilty as charged on this one this is sort of one of my pet peeves and i i do like to refer to champagne with a capital c just as bubbly wine from the champagne region of france and anything else shouldn't be called champagne so maybe this is one that I need to relax a little bit about because I'm I'm kind of a stickler for this rule.
1: Yeah, and I think we were both corrupted when we did French wine education because we our eyes were open to how much this region is protected and how how they protect the name. So we've come to I guess have a, a loving for helping protect it. Um, but it's very common. People say I'm looking for a champagne, I'm looking for a five dollar bottle for a mimosa or something like that. And you know, it's this goes back to pronouncing things. I think it's yeah. almost <laughs> in the same realm. Well, you don't. Want a champagne because that's forty fifty dollars. Let's let's look at a prosecco which is ten dollars, right? Or a sparkling. So I
0: guess I need to sort of think about it. Like, all right, so this is a generic term for bubbly wine. It's here to stay. How can I adapt the way that I talk about bubbly wine? Yeah, <laughs> and I- and in a way that it makes people understand. And at the end of the day, that that's my take on wine education. I I don't want to dumb it down, but I want to make it accessible and approachable and understandable for people. So maybe if there's something that I have to change a little bit about the way that I'm doing it and if this is the thing that I have to change then, then I'm you know I'm still learning too so it's all good
1: I, I guess as educators and retailers it's good that people know a sparkling wine is, is related to champagne
0: mm-hmm. it's, it's, and that it's still wine I've had a, yeah. some people be like well is champagne really wine I'm like yeah of course it's wine it's just wine with bubbles in it but th- that is something that is also sometimes a preconceived mo- notion on people's parts that because it has bubbles in it it's this whole Whole different category.
1: Now the next topic is stop saying no red with fish. So mm. the, the bubbly girl is also the the foodie, and um, we say this all the time. Food pairings have gone crazy, and they're more experimental now. But this one I think is open up to a lot of interpretation,
0: right? And it for me, food and wine pairings are more about the balance than about hard and fast rules. So we generally say lighter foods with lighter wines, heavier wines with heavier foods. But there are some red wines kind of right in the middle there that can span either traditional white wine pairing foods like fish or chicken or salads or things like that and then other things that are a little on the heavier side so talking your Pinot Noirs you're talking your Beaujolais things that are lighter reds but can go with a whole variety of things so yeah red wine with fish if you want to put Pinot Noir and tuna or Pinot Noir with salmon go ahead and do that yeah
1: we always fight about how we pair things but (laughs) I I always say if it's a light dish go with a light wine it can it can be red You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. If you'd like to find out more information about our show, please go to our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine. If you'd like to find out more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. We're talking about wine follies. Stop saying 12 things about wine. Next, we want to bring up the how do you know what it tastes like if you can't describe what it tastes like. And this is another very common thing we hear a lot. And in classes, we always try to say, okay, fruity, oaky, what does it all mean and how can you train yourself to explain it or understand it?
0: And it gets a little weird when we start using terms that are non-food terms to describe something that you consume. So it's a little bit easier when you're talking about, oh, this tastes maybe like apples or this smells like pineapple or this reminds me of blackberries, but you get into a little bit of more difficult territory when you start talking about this tastes like rocks or stones or leather or, you know, things that you might find in a barn, you know, things that you wouldn't in a million years eat. But we talk about those things as if they have recognizable flavors to us. So that can be very, very confusing and sometimes off-putting for people who don't do this on a, a daily basis like we do. And I actually thought that it was very interesting that they put this in here because I was thinking that she would go the opposite way. Like maybe we wine people need to tone down the use of sort of confusing terms and esoteric things that people wouldn't ordinarily consider to be food items. So I was actually sort of surprised that she turned it the other way and said, no, we need all these other turns of language to explain what we're really experiencing here. So I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, one of the more common things I hear is you say, oh, I'm, you're smelling a wine. You say, I smell cherry or I'm tasting cherry. And someone say, how does that cherry get in the wine, Mm -hmm. like putting cherry juice or the cherries growing next to the grapes and just every style of uh, grape type has a certain profile and you can find these lists it'll say uh, Pinot Noir the the profile is cherry, spice uh, so you can relate to a list to kind of break down what each grape should taste like or smell like.
0: Right it's all how your brain is interpreting the sensory experience that your nose and your palate are giving it because at the end of the day just fermented grape juice but there are all these really Unique and and interesting flavor compounds in there that are produced during fermentation that then our brain needs to translate so that we can fully experience all the wonderful flavors and aromas and everything. So it's yeah. There's always there's always something to talk about and and no two people are the same. So it, it really is very subjective, but but also really a fun way to try to communicate with somebody else what you're experiencing.
1: And that's the good thing. If you say you're tasting or smelling a fruit and I'm not, I'm not wrong. Yeah not wrong it's it's what you're getting out of the wine but the interpretation of when you go to buy or uh, looking for a wine if you say you like a pinot noir and it has a cherry or a spice then it's it's a guide to help people find your profile to sell you the appropriate wine that that you like
0: right and that's actually a good segue to their their next point their 10th point was uh, pretty much just don't make people feel dumb if they don't have a lot of experience with wine if you're sitting there tasting with someone or or you're in a store and you're talking to somebody about it they might not have as much experience with you uh, with it uh, than you that you do and just don't make them feel like an idiot <laughs> you know yeah. be nice kind of at the end of the day this is a yes you may know more than them but try to be more helpful and
1: just don't be a jerk yeah, this is one of the things we talk about a lot when we're doing classes or coming up ideas for classes and often I'll think back geez I hope I explained that well and didn't come off as being geeky that's not my goal is to, to show that I know something about wine and, and you can never know everything about wine but uh, it's it's guide to help you or try interpreting what people are saying is difficult at times yeah. to see if we're going over people's heads or if we're making sense.
0: Yeah, I worry about this all the time. You know, it, not only am I maybe going over somebody's head but does this make sense to you? Does this come across as information that you can absorb and then can use as opposed to me just like throwing terms out that I know that I'm making sense to me but I might not be making sense to you. And if I'm not making sense to you, then this is not of value to you.
1: And I think one of the things I've learned from you, Kim, doing events and classes, that the simpler, the better a lot of the time. Yeah, sometimes. And uh, a lot of times people want to give too much information because we may know too much information. But I think we start simple. We get the feedback of what you're looking for. Take those questions and then you can build on it as you go.
0: And the last thing to not do is sort of this idea that red wine is serious wine and white wine or anything else is not. Is, don't really, don't think that way. You know, there. there's all sorts of different kinds of wine out there that are still <laughs> legitimate, real wine. And it's not only red wine that's the quote unquote real wine. And people can be consumers of different kinds of wines and not just big, hardy, bold Napa Cabernets or Bordeaux's or Chianti Classico's and still be real wine drinkers.
1: A lot of times when we do events, we like to actually maybe mix it up of putting reds and whites. And a lot of people, I find a lot of people, if you go one way or the other, no matter which way you go, people get upset that there's not enough reds, <laughs> there's not enough whites. So it's hard to understand. It, as far as retail sales, it always trends more red lately. Interesting. And years ago, it was heavy whites. Now it's trending heavy reds. Um, so,
0: But yeah, I mean, there's something out there for everyone. So drink what you like, explore, don't be afraid to try new things, ask questions. And if you know more than somebody else, be a helping hand for them and not somebody who is going to make them feel bad for their, their Lack of knowledge. Thank you for joining us for The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and join us next time. Thank you.